0: What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Hope you are having a phenomenal day. And I can assure you, if you keep listening, your day will get better, no matter how good it's been already. Uh, We have an interview with Kelly Lamentier. And um, one of my goals in 2022 was to bring on more female guests, because admittedly, the first six, seven months that we've been running, we have had a, a, a very small female presence, but it's always been couples. And um, there are some incredible women out there in this space who have uh, all kinds of revelation and wisdom and resources to offer, um, you know, both sides of the equation because we know that uh, women are struggling. Um, I know there's women who listen to this podcast. And so, um, you know, the principles and stuff that we discuss. really, a, a lot of it is universally applicable regardless of gender or relationship status or anything else. Um, and then of course, there's the other side, you know, for a guy who's struggling, um, if you are in a committed relationship, that is going to have an impact on a loved one, and so anyway, you're going to see some more women coming through the pipeline here in our interviews. And uh, Kelly was highly recommended by Matt Klein, who interviewed at the end of 2021, and uh, we we focused a lot on intimacy with God and that sort of thing. And you're gonna um, you're gonna see a little bit of a similar vibe in Kelly's message, but um, man, oh man, she just has a, a crazy story. I I don't want to spoil any of it, but like some of the things she was talking about, I've never heard of. Um, happening and um, some things were just really disturbing as well. And she's made it through just incredible trauma and and has um, healed. And now she helps people and she helps women uh, who are addicted themselves and she helps women who are going through betrayal trauma. So um, I know you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, We talk a lot about her story. So you kind of have a good understanding of just the level of dysfunction she dealt with growing up and then how she's persevered and how she helps people get free now. And um, if you are a guy and you maybe haven't disclosed to your wife yet your own issue or um, the extent of it, you know, maybe she knows it's there, but you haven't really properly gotten in the conversation. um, She's got some great wisdom, some really good pointers for you to think about. And, um, and if you're a guy who's just struggling and you're looking for some help, she's got some great pointers in that arena as well. So this is a very comprehensive interview. We tackled a whole bunch of subjects. I know you're going to enjoy it. And uh, l- lastly, let me just quickly read her bio just so you kind of get a little bit uh, of a, uh, a context for who she is. Kelly is a Christ-centered, certified recovery, transformation, and life coach specializing in female sexual addiction and betrayal trauma. She currently resides in Alberta, that's in Canada, for those of you who aren't from Canada, uh, with her husband. They have th- three children and one amazingly cheeky granddaughter who is two and a half years old. And uh, to give you some context, she is turning 42 and she has a granddaughter. So um, let that give you some context for the story you're about to hear. Without further ado, here's my interview with Kelly Lamentier. Well, Kelly, it's so good to have you here. Great to great to kind of meet you. We were chatting a little bit before, but um, our connection is actually through Matt Klein, who was on the podcast a little while ago, and um, you guys are all kind of part of Restored Ministries, so welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Yeah, and it's cool to have another Albertan on the podcast. We won't hold that against oh, yeah. you. I was born and yeah. raised in Saskatchewan myself, so I don't know <laughs> if that makes us rivals or partners. Or I don't know how that works, but um, but it's really cool to have you. And you have an incredible story that's kind of led you into this field. And I mentioned to you, I wanted to start there. Um, you're talking to, you know, primarily a male audience uh, and a male audience that's, that has been hearing primarily from male guests. And it's one of my mm. goals this year is to get more female guests. So I'm wondering if you can just give us some background on your story and uh, how the heck did you get to this place?
1: Yeah. So a little background on my story is um, I came from a really a really broken home, right? A loving, I looked at it as normal. I looked at it as loving, um, lots of addiction, lots, lots of domestic abuse, lots of just dysfunction, um, throughout my whole entire, my whole entire life. So it wasn't like it was abnormal for me, um, to have certain things in my life that people would actually consider really crazy right now and not, Uh, allow their kids to see, right? I've seen it all. I've heard it (laughs) all.
0: Give an example. What what do you mean by that? Give an example.
1: Um, Yeah. So, um, right. Addiction. Let's go for addiction, right? There was alcohol abuse, but it was open. There was, it was not something that was hidden in those days, right? Hmm. Physical abuse was not hidden in those days. Child services was a lot different uh, 40 years ago than it, than it is now. So to get wrapped upside your head was not, was not uncommon hmm. um, or even sexual addiction, right? It was not uncommon to see that in your, in front of your eyes or in your home, right? My father had affairs, my stepfather ended up having an affair with my mom. So there was lots of that um, sexual promiscuity that was going around our house. Wow. So to grow up in that dysfunction um, was really just normal. It wasn't out of the ordinary. So what got me here, is that, I'm a little, I don't you probably have to do some cutting. I'm a little. That's fine. You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not really sure where to go with my story because there's so yeah. much to it.
0: Let, let me ask, um, let, I'll, I'll ask you some questions then. That way okay. you don't have to go okay. through everything. Yeah?
1: That's my brain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's okay. No worries. No worries. <laughs> um, okay. So then I guess I'm wondering You're. so it sounds like it was with the, the males predominantly growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you're saying, dysfunction was just normal for you. At what point did you realize, oh, this is actually dysfunctional. This is not normal. When, when did that occur to you?
1: In my 30s.
0: Wow. Okay. In my
1: 30s, um, when I actually met Jesus. When I got saved, I realized that everything that I had been doing in life, um, everything that I believed was normal, was actually not normal right? Hmm. You, you don't have to have sex to find love, to have connection. You don't have to have a man take care of you. Because I was taught that. I was taught that, you know, um, my father actually taught me that, that you are with men because they take care of you. You don't have to work. You don't have to do any of this. I mean, granted, I worked, right? So it wasn't like I, I didn't do that. But he had this idolization of men put on me, Hmm. that this is what the man's role is it's to take care of his woman even if he's taking care of other women
0: wow so,
1: yeah so that was normal and then i hit in my 30s met jesus and i'm like wow boy was i dysfunctional
0: <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't realize clear. that
1: yeah i didn't realize that um men were actually nice not only were they nice they actually if they didn't hit you it didn't mean they didn't love you wow if yeah if you didn't have sex with them it was actually okay hmm. it was okay that you did not do that or get treated that way
0: wow now i i read somewhere uh, just to kind of drive home your upbringing what it was like i read somewhere that your um your parents were having troubles in their marriage so they went to see a marriage counselor and then your father wound up uh, hooking up with the counselor and then remarrying, remarrying to her eventually. Did I get that correctly?
1: Yeah, he did. He married her. My parents were divorced within six months um, of what I understand, because I was probably about three or four years old. And um, within six months of them divorcing, my, my father was remarried to my step, my first stepmom.
0: Yeah. Wow. wow. It,
1: yes. So it was it was very tumultuous, um, time. Yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. So,
0: okay. So 30 years of kind of, this is normal. Um, you know, I men are not, they're not always going to be there for me, but I don't have a choice. Like this is the framework they show up for you. You rely on them. Um, and you meet Jesus and you, you kind of get a, a recalibration of sorts. Um, is your life just better now and you're good. And, What's in the past was in the past. Uh, What what happened after you met Jesus and what did it look like to, you know, to, I guess, get you to this point now where you're helping other people heal from their sexual brokenness?
1: Yeah, I wish it was actually that easy that you met Jesus and everything just went away. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your dysfunction doesn't go away. Hmm. You actually have to. Um, really start getting into relationship. You have to be in relationship with Jesus. I think that was the hardest part for me was understanding that God was a good God. Jesus wasn't going to abuse me, right? There was nothing he wanted from me except my heart. That was all he wanted. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to strive for it, but it was really learning that intimacy piece. Hmm. Then for me to really heal from the dysfunction that I had in my life, even the, the sin that I had in my life, right? Because my sexual sin, um, being in sexual addiction, right? It, it was a long list. I had a long list of things that, you know, wasn't just um, having sex with men, right? That's not the only thing. It was the pornography addiction. It was an addiction to um, other vices, but even the sexual sin of having an abortion, that, that falls under sexual sin. Right. right. So it was actually having to dig into all of that with Jesus. In the meantime, don't think for one second I hadn't found another man. Hmm. My husband, now, God is so gracious, so kind, and so merciful um, that I had started dating my husband when I had first found Jesus. And then my husband got saved. Wow. And we, ha- we both had to come into healthy. Um, sexuality together because we didn't we both had sexual sin in our lives we both had sexual addiction in our life and we were codependent on each other then
0: wow so okay so i have to ask then so Mm -hmm. so both you and your your husband now you come into a dating relationship Mm -hmm. um on with with a framework outside of jesus let's just put it that way yes so are, are you making adjustments to your physical boundaries then as you're meeting jesus and and learning like, how, what does it actually look like to carry that out? I'm just kind of curious.
1: You know what? That's what I love about God is we don't actually have to meet God where he's at. He meets us where we're at. Yeah. So my husband, my, I call my husband cause he is my husband now, but we literally lived together for two years. Mind you, I was actually still married to my ex-husband.
0: Oh, I was still okay.
1: married to him in the middle of a separation really was trying to divorce him, but that was a whole messy issue because he didn't want to let go. So I couldn't even get married. But I had told my husband when we first started dating, I will never marry you. I'll live with you. <laughs> I didn't want commitment, right? That's another yeah. part of that whole sexual dysfunction is we really don't want commitment. It's about not having to commit and get hurt again. No. Um, so in those two first two years of my husband and I dating and living together, Like I said, God met us where we were at. It was about two years in is when God convicted us, not condemned us. There was Mm. nothing shameful about what my husband and I were doing. Unmarried, there was nothing. God did not bring any shame in, but he spoke so gently and clearly through another person who didn't even realize what she was saying to us that (laughs) we went home and we realized we could not move apart because I brought children into the relationship, right? Our finances were together at that point, we couldn't afford two homes. So yeah. we decided that he was going to actually move out into the living room, and I was going to have the bedroom. And my daughters were going to see that we were sexually pure. Mm. And so um, we did that. And did it work the first time? No, within a month, we were going <laughs> at it. Okay, like, yeah. let's get real here. Like, there, something wasn't working. So we had to And then we felt shame. That's when we felt shame and we felt guilt. And so we came back together again. I'm like, okay, we actually, we actually need to ask God to take our sex drives away. Mm. And he was like, okay.
0: And we did.
1: (laughs) In that moment, we prayed that prayer. We said, God, take our sex drives away until we're able to get married.
0: That is a scary, pr- you talk about bold, scary prayers. Oh man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm feeling a little jittery just hearing that. Yeah. That's serious. But we
1: want, we wanted to live so pure before the Lord though, right? Because of where we had come from and, um, and he had called us into it. He was calling us into it. So it yeah. wasn't like it was our, listen, that idea was way too good for us to be ours. Okay. It was way <laughs> too good for it to be ours. So, Um, And that was in October. In January, my divorce was finalized. So we stayed apart Mm, until January. And I just heard the Lord say, actually, you're going to get married in May. So I said to my husband, I said, we have two choices. We can either just get married to have sex or we can actually wait till May and be blessed beyond measure by God. And we chose to wait And two weeks before we got married, I'm like, God, please remember me. Please remember me. (laughs) (laughs) And he did.
0: (laughs) Wow. That is so, thank you for sharing that. And um, I just wanted to like emphasize what you said at the beginning, which is like, I think the temptation is, you know, you give your life to Jesus, and then you feel like you just have to get all of your behavioral life in order, like all the mm-hmm. do's and don'ts. And that was my experience a little bit. And I, we had different upbringings. Like I grew up in the church as a PK, um, so I have the I had the wherewithal and the framework. But I I think you're at, actually at a huge huge advantage to learn the way you did because it like you said it was it was apart from any condemnation any any shame and like you let God slowly work on your heart, you know, and get you to that place of righteousness and holy living. And um, that is really cool. You have so many fascinating parts of your story. There's all these things I want to ask you about. Uh, You know
1: what? One piece I forgot to tell you is I was actually raised in a very broken, dysfunctional Southern Baptist home.
0: Oh, sorry. I I apologize. I made an assumption there. Sorry.
1: (laughs) I am so sorry that I did not say that. But yeah, I was um, so to get pregnant at 16, When I got pregnant at 16, all hell broke loose in my house.
0: Yeah, Southern Baptist. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So, okay, that's actually what I wanted to talk about a little bit. So, Mm. um, you know, people who are listening, uh, myself, you know, I had a porn addiction. Uh, we, We know what it's like to struggle. And like I said, predominantly from the male side. Can you just tell us a little bit of your story specifically with um, you know sexual issues and sexual misbehavior um, I, I don't you can cover whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable sharing but um, yeah. I think it would just be really good to hear this from a female perspective.
1: Sure. I if I track it back, it's probably be about 11 12 years old, right my, my stepfather was present but he was, an alcoholic, so he could not give us children what we needed. as As a dad, as a stepdad, my mom worked so much because he was an alcoholic. Hmm. My biological father, who I love very much and very close to, um, he was an over the road truck driver. He owned his own trucking company, and he was gone six months out of the year. I'd see him um, every so often. Perhaps he would be home, and I'd get to see him on the weekend. So. I always felt like there was this emptiness, always this emptiness inside me where, you know, I wasn't sure if I belonged. I didn't know what I was. I didn't feel known. I didn't mm. feel like I had a father to really um, show me, right, that love and that connection that, that I needed. My, both my fathers were distant. Mm. And once again, growing up in a very broken, um, a religious home, right? It's really about works. There's nothing about relationship there. It's like, okay, you got to do this, 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 and this. And so um, as I became a teenager, probably around 13 years old, um, I noticed that my, my brother's friends were starting to notice me, right? I was starting to grow into a teen girl and um, getting that attention really was like, yeah, this is what I need. This is what's filling my heart for me right now, um, them giving me the attention. And it wasn't too long after that. It was, wow, if I, you know, getting convinced to have sex. Well, if I just have sex, they're going to love me. They're going to stay with me. They're going to be with me. All of those lies that 13-year-old boys tell you, absolutely. Hmm. Okay, listen, like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but they're looking for the same thing, right, at that age, hmm. Right. right? Children are looking for that same thing, that connection piece, that comfort. I had so much turmoil and chaos going on in my house. Right. I just needed something to escape. Yeah. I always needed, felt like I needed to escape what was going on in my reality because it was so painful. I had a lot of trauma. Um, and right. And now we know trauma is one of the roots of addiction. So I was always trying to cover that. So, as I got older, when well, I got pregnant at 16, um, to my son's father, my son is now just about 26, uh, wow. but he, he left me when I told him I was pregnant okay. and um, my, I had to tell my dad uh, that I was pregnant. And he said, well, you have two choices. You're either going to have this child and raise this child, or you're going to have this child and I'm going to raise this child. So there's your two options. You better figure it out. And, wow. yeah, and so um, I moved, I was living with my dad, and he just, at that point, he just held on to me. And mm-hmm. at that age, having a child now, a child having a child is when he chose to really um, get connected with me. But it was mm-hmm. still dysfunctional. It was still dysfunctional, because guess what? He was still bringing women home. He was still going out on dates. He was still in sexual sin, too. So mm-hmm. it was no, it was no difference. And okay.
0: so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting. And I, it, it's, I guess it's the interesting thing is um, it sounds like for you, it started at a pretty young age. Like um, I know on the male side, the average age of first exposure is somewhere between 8 and 12, right? And, um, and for you, it sounds like, I, I mean, for, for a woman, obviously, like you said, we're, we're all looking for the same thing in, in our teenage years, aren't we? We're looking for affirmation, acceptance, connection, you know, a, a sense of belonging, um, did you get exposed to pornography around this season of your life as well, Kelly?
1: Yeah. So my stepfather had an addiction to pornography. So back then, okay, I am well before computer time, internet time. <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't like this instant download in front of you, right? Mm. It was it was a little bit different. But my my stepfather had magazines around in his room or hidden in the car. Um, so he would work at a corner store and, um, there would be back then, right. The magazines would just be out and he would, he would take us to work with him sometimes cause there was five of us kids. And, uh, he would just let us read the porn magazines in, in the store. It was, it was common. It wasn't uncommon. Wow. It's now child abuse. It's now child abuse, but we were allowed to, to read them. So, or I'd go to a girlfriend's house. And their father would have it in the bathroom, sitting right there. Wow. And you would just start flipping through it. Absolutely.
0: Wow. So how old were you, roughly? Do you remember?
1: Um, Probably around 11 when I first started seeing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, got it. So, um, you know, when you hit 30, uh, or your 30s, rather, where you gave your life to Jesus, are all these things still at play, like pornography, pornography? and um, sexual promiscuity and uh, is all that kind of stuff like in the mix or what, what did it look like at that point? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So after I got saved and I started this journey on healing, right, you've got to start somewhere. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter what you look like or how you're behaving. You just got to start somewhere. And so that journey was challenging. Mm-hmm. Was there times I wanted to just walk away from my husband and find someone else who was going to be this better that I believe? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know any different, but God, I had to continually renew my mind, right? I had to set my things. The Bible says, renew your mind. There's a reason why God says we need to renew our mind because it's the mind that doesn't change when we get saved, right? We have to continually renew it. I mean, there may be some change in your thinking, right? But there's got to be a continual renewing. So there was, um, I went through some emotional healing. I went through some deliverance. I needed to, um, I found myself a faith-based coach to walk me through these hard times when I wanted to give up and just throw the towel in. No, I never cheated on my husband, right? I refused to be who I was. I didn't hmm. want to be who I was. Wow. I refused. And I think we have to get to that place where, you know what, we're going to refuse to be who we were hmm. because it's not the real us. Having Knowing your identity is one of the most important pieces of going through recovery. You need to know your identity in Christ. Mm. You need to know your authority. I had to get to know my what's my authority in Christ, right? The enemy has no power. He only has persuasion. Mm. Wow. No power, just persuasion. If he can persuade you that you are not who God says you are, even in the midst of your behavior, <laughs> right? He's rendered you ineffective. He's gonna, he's gonna make you feel shameful. He's gonna, that's that shame's gonna come, that guilt's gonna come. But even in your behavior, God loves you. Mm. Even in your behavior, God accepts you. So was I perfect along the way? No. Did I still act out with 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 pornography and with masturbating and all of those things? Absolutely. But where I am right now, no. No, God has set me free. And I believe when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I am not the old person.
0: That's so good. And it, it's such a paradigm shift because I think the um, human nature kind of lends itself to it's like, okay, well, once I'm free of porn, once I'm free of masturbation, I think it's a lot easier than just to believe that we're God's beloved sons and daughters, mm-hmm. um, that that you know that we have that place. And um, it's easier to say I'm leaving the past behind, but you're right. You actually have <laughs> yeah. to start living that out while you're still working through it. That's the only way you actually reach that place of true freedom anyway, and that's super powerful. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, just like, what are some of the cornerstones for recovery from the female perspective? And I I think this is where we're gonna see tons of overlap, um, but I imagine some of the nuances are different. We know men and women are obviously fundamentally different, but uh, what does it look like when you're walking somebody through the recovery process, Kelly?
1: Yeah, so the first thing um, when I'm walking a woman through um, recovery is really that piece that no matter what is going on for her, no matter what behaviors she's displaying, God does love her, right? It's really driving that home that God is going to meet you where you're at. You don't, he doesn't have this expectation of you. There's no unrealistic expectations from God, none. He meets you where you're at. And it's really getting that piece of the renewing your mind, right? Do those triggers, right? Cause we're triggered. It's really that renewing of the mind, like finding out what is, what is the thought that came in? What's the emotion associated with it? And what's the behavior you're displaying? Yeah. That's really where I start because those three are linked. Your thoughts, mo- like drive your behaviors. And then, I, and then from there, I really drive them into their desires. Like what is the true desire behind your heart
0: Hmm.
1: that you're behaving this way? Because the thought may have come in, the emotion may be there, but what's really going on under the surface for you? Hmm. What do you need? What are you trying to fill? And so that's where I do that one-on-one coaching. I don't do that in group coaching. That's that one-on-one coaching to really move them into drawing closer to Jesus. You Hmm. have to... Draw closer because, you know, God was showing me that, you know, people, when we, instead of, instead of moving towards him, facing him, we turn away from him when he's called us to turn towards him and seek his face, even in those moments. So it's getting the women to see that even in those turn and seek his face, stop what you're doing immediately. When you realize what you're doing, just stop. Okay. Right. (laughs) That's a win. When you can stop in the middle of what you're doing that's a win to me oh, that's yeah. a win to God
0: oh that's yeah. a win yeah that's so good yeah. it's so good so then uh, you talked a little bit before about traumas and how we mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to like realize I think just the significance of trauma everybody has trauma in their life whether it's capital T mm-hmm. little T um, that kind of yeah. thing what is uh, what does it look like if you're walking a, a woman through her traumas and helping her work through it and I I think maybe um, one of my questions specifically is like, What's the end goal? What's the end goal of somebody working through trauma? Is it that when they think about it, they don't feel triggered? Is it that they don't think about it anymore? Um, What what does it look like? And what, what is sort of your end goal in mind when you walk somebody through that part?
1: Yeah, I think the expectation that you will never think about your trauma again is one of the most incorrect thinking we can have because that's your launching point, right? We need to get to a point in our lives, kind of like I am, probably kind of like you are, where we can speak from a place of healing and testimony. Mm. That's where you want to really move people. Yeah. Because when God, when you, when God has healed you in that area, you speak from a scar instead of a wound hmm. and it sounds different hmm. and it moves mountains at that point because you're speaking to somebody else. There's no hopelessness anymore, right? There's no, <laughs> So it's really just moving them that, you know what? Yeah. You're going to probably remember this piece forever, but how do we move you into a place that God has redeemed you from that and it no longer hurts
0: you, Yeah. but it
1: launches you forward.
0: That's good, Kelly. Yeah. That's really, really good. Um, what does it look like when somebody reaches that place? Um, like, what changes in a woman's life? What, what are some of the main changes that you see when somebody has gone through that healing journey and their wounds have healed and their scars now? Um, they're in that place where they could share. What, what is it? What, what changes for a woman when she finally gets free?
1: In, in what aspect? What changes for her?
0: Like I mean, her... it could be it could be anything. Like, uh, does does her self worth change? Are women mm. going out in? You know, maybe launching a business or something they always want to, but couldn't before. Do they have reconnection in their marriages? I mean, the whole game, you can give me whatever you want.
1: Yes. Yeah. It looks a little bit different for everybody, but you're right because they're now finding worth. Their worth goes way up because they know that their worth is actually based on Jesus. It ain't based on anything that's going on around them or what's been done to them Hmm. or what they have done. Yeah. Their, their confidence goes up. Yes, some of them want to know, how do I become a coach like you, Kelly? How do I do this? How do I now help other women who are struggling? Mm. And, and those are really good questions. But then they want to start running groups. They want to get their story out there. They're not ashamed to talk to small groups anymore at their churches, right? They're going to their pastors like, hey, this is what I've walked through. Here's who I'm seeing. This is what I've gone through. This is how she's led me back to Jesus in this, right? Because to me, yeah, I'm the vessel, but it's all about Jesus. Yeah. It's really all about him.
0: Yeah. That is so cool. And what I want the people who are listening, I want you to hear, especially if you're a man, that it's amazing to just to hear the parallels that exist with the female experience Um, and I I really feel it for women who are struggling in this area because um, from from the male perspective like um, struggling with porn is is really it's a shameful experience right and Mm -hmm. um, you just think of how personal and private it is but then when you're a woman struggling like there's still that idea of like well women shouldn't be that why would women struggle with that like porn is a male Mm -hmm. issue and uh, Mm -hmm. which is totally wrong and it's cool to hear I think just the parallels that are so similar in the male and female experience there's there's not a lot of differences, like I said. Obviously, the nuances are, but um, but what walks somebody through recovery and then what changes in their life, it, it, we're all after the same things here. You know, we want to have yeah. meaningful relationships, we want to fulfill our potential, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really really cool. Um, I didn't know if we would get here, but I but I wanted to talk a little bit about betrayal trauma, um, and of course, that's I think that's really going to hit home because um, a lot of people, um, I think, even if you're single, you may not realize it, but your sexual misbehavior is affecting the people around you. Um, and mm-hmm. it could lead to problems down the road when you get into a serious relationship. Or well, not problems, but things that you obviously are gonna have to work through if the issues aren't resolved. And I, I think I just want to talk a little bit about um, what women are really going through when they find out that their partner, their spouse or you know, b- uh, boyfriend or whoever is looking at pornography. So maybe we can just start at a really basic entry level. Let's say you're, you're talking sure. to somebody who, um, they've been married, they've been addicted to porn for a while, they had a conversation about it a long time ago, and he kind of left the impression that it's there, but I got it under control. And presumably, because they haven't talked about it, she just assumes that everything's good, right? And he's kind of like yeah. bursting at the seams here, like mm-hmm. he can't keep it in any longer. And you know, this is off, I mean, guys do come to me in the state uh, regularly. Yeah. Uh, just had a guy like this last week. Um, let's say he, okay, so let's say he talks to me and I'm like, okay, we need to start having this conversation and figuring out how you're going to disclose this to your wife. What, what is it like from um, the female perspective? And I mean, I don't mind you talking to the males as well, or if there's practical tips, I wonder if you can just maybe start there. What is, what's the, what, what are some tips you have? And I guess any insights you can shed onto the, the female side of that?
1: Yeah. So it's going to be traumatic for her right? This is, this is definitely going to be um, a big blow to her self-confidence, her worth, all of these things that actually, guys, she was trying to find in you. And the reason why, this is, this is actually my belief, the reason why um, this becomes so huge for her and traumatic for her is because all of a sudden, all of the trauma that she's had in her life that she's never talked about, is actually about to collide with this trauma. And it's like volcano meets tornado. And she is not going to process this very well. And that's why that that first initial response um, could look different for every every woman because everybody responds differently, right? That fight, flight, or freeze. You're going to do one of those responses. um, So you can expect one of those responses. When it comes to disclosing, I mean, I think the initial disclosure, right? Um, You're just going to get out what you can as a man, as a woman too, right? On the addiction side, let's, I mean, it's no different, right? You're just going to get out what you can, but to have those, like those staggered disclosures. So you come into healing, you come into your journey of, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to get rid of this. Now I need to make a commitment to getting rid of my sexual addiction. As you're in your journey, God is revealing to you, right? God is revealing these, and these little pieces are coming back to you of these little moments that you may have um, had some sexual sin in there. And and because you feel so free from that first disclosure, right, you're like, wow, I'm free. I'm telling the truth finally.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm being the man I need to be. As you're redisclosing to her, even if it's the same scenario, just a little piece added to it, you're re-traumatizing her. Because she's over here saying, wow, I am so betrayed. I am so unloved. I am so hurt right now. Hmm. And now you're just adding another emotional piece onto her. So I really encourage men not to um, just stagger disclose to their wives if they are in coaching with me. Just not that it's not important. Okay. So that's one thing I want to, I always tell the women, I am not about secrets. I don't do secrets. Well, I don't want secrets. However, um, where is your heart right now in your healing journey? Because if you can't receive what your husband is going to say, right, then there's, there's no point right now for him to tell her because it's not going to be received the way he actually needs it to be received.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. And one, one of the things I tell guys when they are getting ready for that disclosure conversation is you are going to be so tempted to um, protect yourself, defend yourself. Uh, you're going to be tempted to try to like, I think a lot of guys think going into that conversation, it's a success if she doesn't blow up. Like the goal is to try to control her response yeah. and um, trying to just re- remind them, actually, the, the long term play here is connection. Like you were trying to enhance your connection. It's not going to happen in one conversation. I love that you said that. Like this is not a single conversation. This is an ongoing discussion with the long play in mind being how do, how do I handle myself in a way that's going to foster connection? Um, I'm wondering if maybe somebody hears this and they're like, okay, Kelly, so I, I'm in this situation. My wife and I are peaceable, you know, like sure, things could be better, but things are pretty good. She doesn't know what's going on. You're trying to convince, you're trying to tell me I have to go have a conversation that I know is going to traumatize my wife, like something that I know again and again is going to inflict pain. It's going to breed distrust. When I have an okay thing going on here, why, why would I do that? What, what's, how would you answer that?
1: Yeah, you have just an okay thing, but you don't have what God wants for you. You could have so much better. Why live in secrecy from your wife? why live in secrecy from your partner when you guys weren't designed to be in secret together, you were designed to be in one together. And I I think it's that whole vulnerability piece. Right. And, and I think we have to remember, right. You have trauma too. Men have trauma. Yeah. So it's, it's, how do you even step over that to say, (laughs) Hey wife, this is actually why I have this addiction. It has nothing to do with you. It's not because you're not skinny enough. It's not because you're not pretty enough. It's not because of this, right? I'm still trying to figure it out. So I would encourage, I would always encourage a man to find someone to disclose to first and find another man, yeah. right? Find someone to help you. Find someone that you trust, okay? Mm-hmm. Don't do it without someone you don't trust because you don't want this. I just like to say, I don't want to go around the neighborhood, right? That's shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, so really find someone... Um, that you trust, and honestly, if you're saved, ask Holy Spirit who to pick. Yeah. Ask Holy Spirit what to say. Ask Holy Spirit what to disclose, because He's going to tell you exactly what you need to disclose in that time.
0: That's really good. Yeah, that's like the greatest shortcut in the world is just ask Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Really good. Um, what what should a guy do? So let's say he he's bit the bullet he had the disclosure conversation he can really tell that he hurt his wife maybe let's say she froze so it didn't blow up but you know he could tell he caused some pain what what is the best thing that guy can do to i guess nurture that process of ongoing discussions also trying to rebuild trust what are what are some things that maybe a woman would appreciate from their significant other as they embark on that journey
1: yeah to see a behavior change, really. So I would want to see, I would have wanted to see, right, him like, okay, I'm going to actually go and get all the help I need to get. Okay, some of this is going to be really unrealistic because it doesn't happen like this, right? But Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go and get all the help that I can get. Um, I'm going to like shut off all my devices. I'm going to have everything set up so that I don't have any setbacks or relapses or whatever the words you like to call them. That's unrealistic. And honestly, her brain's not even going to process what she needs. She's yeah. not going to be able to really process, and she's going to co- probably come out with some unrealistic expectations at that point, which is normal, right? Mm. Um, so what we want to see as women to be real with you just doesn't happen right away, right? It's a journey. Processes are ugly. Processes are messy. Processes are emotional, <laughs> Right. And you, I always tell my women, you cannot judge your husband by their process. We judge them by their progress, the behavior we're seeing. Mm. So I wonder if that answered that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think it's important for guys to hear because uh, male brain is certainly like, okay, I'm going to tell her what i did mm-hmm. and then i'm going mm-hmm. to tell her what i'm doing about it you know mm-hmm. and like very quick jump to the practical things and you're right like it's because we're talking about people's hearts here and we're talking about relationship there is a process and it's not a straight linear path um one of the things no. we witness and one of my colleagues uh, dr eddie caparucci is actually just about to launch a book about it is you know guys can get free right so they they have the behavioral change they're not watching porn anymore. They're not sleeping around or chronically masturbating. But the the spouse is still, they're still not there. Like I think sometimes the guy just thinks if I get this behavior taken care of, we're good to go. Um, but the issue is not exclusively behavioral. And I'm wondering um, what, what are things that guys can do to also heal that relationship component? And maybe you've already mentioned it. Maybe it's the same things, but I guess I'm just wondering like, in addition to guys doing their part to work on the addiction to get the healing they need, is there anything they can do that's going to go a long way for their wife or their partner to start restoring some trust as well, so that when they get free, yeah. the wife actually trusts them, you know, and doesn't have some of those things in the back of her head that might hold her back.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I I say to the men um, when I'm speaking with them, right, when I'm in a men's group and I'm speaking, um, and they ask me a question like this. You know, a lot of the times it's okay. Encourage your wife to start her own healing journey. She needs to start her own. You are not responsible for your wife's healing. She's not responsible for yours. Mm. You are individually responsible for your own healing journey, period. Hmm. And I also tell them, maybe it's time for you to get on your knees and start praying for your wife. Hmm. Same thing I tell the wives. (laughs) What would it look like for you to get on your knees and start contesting for your husband, start contesting for your marriage? Your marriage has been assaulted by the enemy. Mm. Nothing short. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just that encouragement. There is nothing they can do. God has to come in. God has to be the one to come in and restore this, restore them, restore their wives and restore their marriage. The foundation has been cracked. Neither one of them were the real people that they married. And they're both going to feel that loss. She's grieving, right? That loss. He's going to feel it too, though. He's going to feel that loss because he is not who he thought he was. But she's like, he was not who I thought he was. Hmm. But guess what? When she goes through coaching with me, she realizes that actually she wasn't who she thought she was either because God can only come in and restore that. So to really build that trust, I mean, if I was going to, and it's just about the behavior. They have to see the behavior change. But if, I mean, but if it's years down the road, right? And and you're done and and you're free and God is, and and you're walking in freedom and she's still hyper vigilant with you. This is about her now.
0: Hmm. Right. This is
1: about her brokenness.
0: Yeah. That's really clarifying. And we were talking about this before we hit record, but um, can, can you talk a little bit about the triggered part? Like, oh, I triggered my wife again. Stupid me. I shouldn't have said that or whatever. I know guys can fall into that a lot as yeah. they're kind of working through it. Yeah. Can you just just uh, lay, lay the law a little bit on that? What? How should guys yeah. really be seeing these things?
1: Um, when, when a woman becomes triggered, when their wife or their partner or their spouse, however you use, what language you use becomes triggered, I really like to change the men's language, you did not trigger your wife. That is saying that you are responsible for her behavior. Yes. Your behavior did did, uh, contribute to what is going on. However, you are not responsible for that, for how your wife chooses, Hmm. right? We need to have some accountability here, chooses to behave. So yes, we may um, feel triggered, We may explode, right? That is a natural response. It happens. You can't expect perfection, right? (laughs) But how does a woman start to get some self-control over that? And it takes a little bit, but I really like to change that language. I guess that's what you you were getting at. I like to change that language is from I trigger my wife or I'm triggering my wife to my wife is feeling triggered.
0: Yeah, that is really fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: Getting rid of that shame, because that's a shame. Res- that's a shame response. I am triggering my wife, or I trigger her. Right? Yeah.
0: that's so good. And I, I think it, it's really hard to clarify those lines sometimes, especially I know for a guy, like you feel so ashamed of what you've done, mm-hmm. you feel so responsible, and yet, yes. like you're saying, the lines of responsibility have to be crystal clear because yeah. otherwise, you try to fix problems that you have no business solving. And, um, and usually it makes things worse. Um, unfortunately all good things come to an end, Kelly, and we're, we're nearing that end. But I, I'm wondering if you can, um, maybe just land this thing with, uh, some really practical wisdom for, um, just people across the board. You're talking to probably some people who are addicted and single, and maybe they don't have the betrayal Mm -hmm. trauma component. Some people that are struggling and it is impacting a spouse Um, on either the male or the female side, I'm just wondering what, what are some, some words of wisdom and some, some key takeaways that people can, uh, leave the interview with?
1: Yeah. So I really want to encourage you that no matter what I just turn towards Jesus, honestly, there's nothing else better you could do. There is nothing else, better. I know the shame sits there. I know the guilt sits there, but that would be my biggest piece of advice is to stop turning away from him and start turning towards him. Because guess what? He formed you before the foundation of the world. He is everywhere. He actually already sees everything that you do. He knows when you do it. And he ain't Santa Claus, right? Let's get (laughs) real here. Like God is everywhere. His eyes see everything. So if you think that you're hiding in secret doing this, you're actually wrong. You're only fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. So because he already knows, I just encourage you, to just lay it down, the shame, and just turn towards him. Mm. But don't stop your healing journey, okay? Don't stop. No matter how many times. I call them setbacks. I don't like relapse. I actually use setback with my ladies when I am coaching them. So if you if you have a setback, so what? Mm. Stand up. Brush yourself off. Repent and move on.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Don't
1: dwell. The enemy wants you to dwell on it. Don't. Brush yourself off and move on, but repent, ask forgiveness
0: that's and so ask good.
1: How you, God, how can we do this differently? Start bringing him into it, right? That intimate piece of Jesus, how do you want to do this? Maybe you're not even, maybe you're trying to do this in your own strength. Maybe it's time to stop and say, Hey, Jesus, how do you actually want to do this? What does this look like?
0: Yeah, that's really good, Kelly. Really good. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know people are going to want to connect with you um, can you just, uh, maybe clarify who you work with and for which particular issues, because we kind of covered the whole gamut in our uh, podcast and then, um, what are some specific ways they can connect with you?
1: Yeah. So I actually partner with, um, Matt Klein of restored ministries, and he has an amazing ministry that helps men and women become free from pornography and other sexual abuse. Ad- sexual vices, I almost said advice, but no, sexual (laughs) vices. Um, My business is actually uh, Revive to Thrive Recovery Coaching. So we are separate entities, um, but you can still find both of us through Restored Ministries or you can find me um, on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Revive to Thrive uh, Recovery Coaching. You can go to my website, uh, find me there. That's great.
0: And you work with, do you work with women, men, uh, is it for betrayal, trauma, addiction? Can you just yeah. specify that part as well?
1: Sure. So I work with, I coach women who are in active sexual addiction and I, and I coach women on the other hand who are in betrayal trauma. Yes. Amazing. I coach both sides. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're well, you're a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I think it's really cool that you have all the experience as well. Um, and, uh, Matt, Matt was like singing your praises off camera. Uh, After our last interview, he's like, you've got to get Kelly on here. So I'm really glad we did this. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Um, But you are too. Thank you for all the work you're doing. And thanks for your time today, Kelly. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me. I just, it's such an honor.
0: Oh, good. Well, that was my interview with Kelly Lamentier. And uh, like I said, she is just a a wealth of knowledge, a very versatile individual, and um, a really neat integration of Uh, professional counseling you know she's uh, a registered social worker and a nurse but um, the spiritual components as well and um, and I really value that in her and uh, just an incredible story and I hope if you get nothing else from this guys what I really want you to take away is that God does not give up on anyone like here is somebody who grew up in incredible levels of dysfunction um, made a lot of poor decisions along the way was basically set course to repeat all of her generational sins and mistakes. And um, Jesus met her. She's gradually healed. She's grown. She's been restored. And, you know, here we are. Uh, She's now helping people around the world uh, experience freedom in their own lives. And, um, you know, if you're a woman listening and maybe you're struggling with porn, highly, highly recommend that you reach out to her. Um, Because Kelly, you can tell she's just, she's done earth. She doesn't mince words and she's really going to help you get to that result that you need to get to uh, that place of health and freedom. And I think if you're experiencing betrayal trauma as well, we have some other guests coming on and we're going to talk more about that soon in the future. Um, but I, I think Kelly would be a great resource in that avenue as well. Again, just lots of experience. And, um, and I, I think if you're a guy and you're struggling, um, I hope this sheds some light on the female experience of addiction, but also what your loved ones might be going through um, if you're in a serious committed relationship. And if you're not married, uh, hopefully this is a little bit of a wake-up call of just to uh, the detriments of bringing porn and masturbation and other sexual sin into a marriage. Um, anyway, guys, that's my, that's my pitch. My pitch is go reach out to Kelly and uh, and I hope you have an incredible day. Much love to all of you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within.